Well, there has been research that has shown that when people uh, are wandering in the woods and they've gotten lost and they're trying to get out and they don't have a compass, they don't have, you know, it's not nighttime, they can look out and see the North Star, they don't have some sort of external reference point uh, to know where they're heading, they will always walk in circles, uh, no matter how determined they are to walk in a straight line. Actually, what they've done is they, they've put little GPS devices on people and they've sent them to get lost in the woods and do your best to walk in a straight line and find your way out. And they just, you, you can pull up a little map of their trajectory and they're just kind of swirling all over the place. And, and, and actually, the, the, the scientists that have done these experiments, they say the worst thing that, thing that you can do in that kind of situation is trust your instincts because your instincts are going to fail you. you. You need something that's outside of you to tell you that to tell you where you're going and and this retreat this is this is a time to consider where are you walking at the start of a of a new year are are you back where you started 2017 is that how you're facing 2018 kind of having come full circle but but not really having made progress in your engagement with the lord and your knowledge of him in your growth in righteousness and in the patterns of godly habits that he would desire to have in your life are are you are you facing this year and it looks like i've just walked right back around and i'm here i am at at another year and and not really having advanced um we'll be asking that question uh together this weekend and and that's it's a question um that honestly you know, it used to be typical for believers to raise that for one another. How, how is your walk? Um, how are you doing with Christ? And it's, it's a question I, I haven't been hearing as frequently. And I don't know if it's because there's something that we've lost or if we just are discouraged to find out the answer or, may, or probably more likely we're just not really paying attention. Um, but this description of of walking, even though we don't tend to talk like this, it's, it's a picture that shows up all over Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people to walk in his ways. And Jewish teachers would, would describe uh, the teaching of the law as halakha, which was the Hebrew word for walking. Uh, we read in Genesis that guys like Enoch and Noah walked with God. And that goes all the way back to the garden when, where God would show up and, and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And when God called Abraham, he had him walk away from his homeland and head to the land of Canaan. Israel walked out of Egypt in the Exodus. They walked on dry land all the way through the Red Sea and they walked into the land of promise. In the Gospels, Jesus would call people to follow him, which literally meant walking with him from place to place, doing life with him, traveling to the next destination where ministry is happening. And and the second half of the Gospels is a walk. It is, is a walk of Jesus heading to Jerusalem with his disciples. And the Gospel of Luke concludes with Jesus on, on the road to Emmaus, walking with disciples and explaining, this is what I've come to do. This is my rescue mission. This is what all of scripture is about. And, and that continued 
to describe his disciples before believers were ever called Christians. Do you know what they were called? They were called followers of the way. You know, you know this, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, they, and that's how they describe one another. We're the community of the way. We are followers of the way. And, and, and even though, you know, the experience of putting our feet on the ground and walking long distances is, is, is pretty foreign to us, you know, that's not how we got here. <laughs> I'm thankful. Uh, that's not what we had to do. But, you know, you just hop in your car and you maybe you stop at a drive through along the way and you entertain yourself with an iPad or a cell phone. You, you know, you don't have to be just you in the ground alone in your thoughts or in conversation with the person next to you as you walk 20 miles to get to the next city. But, but it's interesting that in our, our fast-paced, highly connected society, there, there's a movement of people who are walking. And I've seen a couple of TED Talks where guys have presented this. And what they've done is they've walked across America. They've gone from one coast to the next, just walking over 3,000 or 4,000 miles, depending on the route that they've, they've taken. And, and, and there's a website called walkacrossamerica.com. And, and they explain that the reason why they're doing this is they, they, they want the opportunity to be, to be forced to be alone and to think in an age of distraction. And, and they like the forced slowness that walking provides. They say, for us, walking is the poetry of transportation. Much like poetry, walking slows us down forcing us to pay attention, and they'll spend up to a year to do this. Now, why invest so much time? Why spend a whole year of your life to do this and take all the energy? Well, well it makes sense if you've been taught the idea that life is a journey. And, and listen, we, we've been taught that idea, and that the main goal of the journey is to discover yourself. Because notice that that's not something that you can do if you've got like a job and a family. <laughs> uh, this is not really about settling down with, um, with commitments. And so the thought that we're walking on a path in life is a culturally reinforced thought. But, but pay attention to how it's framed because it's become all about the individual path, your own path in life. There, there's an award-winning Louis Vuitton a commercial for a, a travel bag and it, and it features these cinematic and, and lush thoughts. There's a man who's in a, in a suit and he takes off his shoes and he walks in the Saharan sand. And I don't know if anybody ever does that other than in commercials, but uh, it's one of those kind of classic commercial scenes. Uh, and, and, then, and then the scene shifts and there's another man who's, who's standing at the brink of a, of a river and, and you can see his breath exhaling in, in the breeze. And, and then you go over and there's this young female traveler and she's sleeping in the alcove of a, of a Tibetan village and she wakes up and the wind is moving through her hair, right? Don't you wish you had that kind of life. Uh, and then on the screen, you have these words. What is a journey? A journey is not a trip. It's not a vacation. It's a process, a discovery. It's a process of self-discovery. A journey brings us face-to-face with ourselves. Does the person create the journey or does the journey create the person? The journey is life itself. Where will life take you. 
You hear that? That sounds so common now, but you know, it, it hasn't always been this way. I'm reading an interesting book by a guy named Mark Sayers, and it's titled The Road Trip That Changed the World. And he interacts with a, a book called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And, and this was published in the 1950s, and, and it's, it's a novel, really, that represents his own life and, and the journey of his, of his friends when they're in their young 20s, and, and, and they kind of hit the road, and, they, and they, they travel in their car, and they walk away from a life that has been stifling to them. They're fed up with kind of a consumeristic culture, and they leave behind old boundaries, and, and so it's, it's, a, it's a tale not of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but sex, drugs, and jazz. Um, and and it's, a, it's a moment of exploration that they have. But what, uh, what, what Mark Sayers points out is that that has now, that was kind of on the edges of culture then. Uh, that kind of experience has come to define culture for us. And he, he actually draws a connection after World War II you have uh, the mass production of the automobile and the availability of roads. And around that same time, you have the invention of this strange new creature, and it's called the teenager. <laughs> uh, this kind of in-between phase that you, you really didn't have represented in society. You, you guys realize that uh, you know, many of you, at the age that you're at, you, you would have been facing a significant amount of responsibility and workload that you would have been sharing. You, you would have been thinking about marriage and, and settling down and career, 19 and 20 years old. Uh, but but as, you know, as we were booming economically and America is, is doing well and there isn't such a demand to, to join the labor force, there's all kind of opportunity and the teenage years, they become defined as a time for self-discovery. And this icon of the open road set before you becomes, comes to describe this period of your life. We love the thought of leaving home more than the idea of arriving at a settled destination. And, and, and guys, this, this, this touches us in so many different ways. I mean, some of the college students in here, uh, college students today have a very high appetite for travel and expectation for where, where you should have been able to go. I, mean, I don't know if you, you notice that interacting with some of your friends. Maybe it's in you. It's in me, right? You, you want to see the world, and, and you should have already done that by now. You should have already gone to Europe or backpacked in India or something, right? Uh, people didn't used to talk like that. There wasn't this expectation that you're going to journey out and and see things, and, 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 and today, you're not really supposed to, like, settle down until you're about 35 years old, if, if that, um, but we journey in our culture because we, we search for a, a purpose, for meaning, for a sense of belonging, and, and the secular world, as much as it advertises fulfilling experiences, it doesn't really provide it. Look what Mark Sayers has to say in this book. He says, Throughout history, various religious traditions have used the imagery of pilgrimage or journey to describe spiritual development. These journeys were focused on an eternal destination, a spiritual transformation of the individual. Today, however, the pilgrimage is all about the individual's own life journey. 
In the past, the individual gained a sense of solace, knowing that despite life's disappointments and inevitable suffering, meaning was still found in God's will for every individual. Sociologist Francesca Collins wonders, perhaps the journey is a secularized version of God's will. This is really insightful. By seeing life as a journey, we can enjoy the moral cost-free benefits of secular living, but then later can Photoshop a layer of meaning over our lives by recounting our experiences as part of our life journey. The confusion, fragmentation, and randomness of living in a secular culture loses some of its sting when we apply the journey tag to our messy lives. Do you pay attention that people do that? I mean, it's just so common. Some celebrity is being interviewed. Maybe she was like some child actor and, and, you know, she was instantly brought into fame and then she kind of burned out and was passed over and, and, and now she's kind of on, on, on the mend and recovering and people are picking her up for movies and whatever. And it's just all part of my, my personal journey, right? That, that becomes the explanation for the stuff that we've encountered in life and we, we need to have something like that if we've removed life from God as the explanation. He says, he goes on to say this, when we open the pages of scripture, we find a different kind of person from the person of the road, a person of the way, the way of Christ, a pilgrim of a road that does not lead to the tantalizing potential of a future destination but instead to a wooden cross. A way that promises life eternal, but that also demands total obedience, complete surrender, and death to self. Listen, you are walking on a road. Is it this one? Where are you heading? Who are you following because because we are following someone or something we are always being discipled we are being taught how to approach life what to expect to get out of it how to define success how to treat people where are we following on this road let's turn open to ephesians chapter four and this weekend we're going to be in ephesians four and five because Paul has a lot to say about the Christian walk in this section of Scripture. And our, our three sessions are going to be walking in life tonight, and then tomorrow we'll talk about walking in light. And then we'll conclude Sunday morning with walking in love. And uh, Eric pointed out the, the song that we sang earlier, um, Great Are You, Lord, how all three of those show up, right? Uh, you give life, you are love, you are light in the darkness. Um, well, we're going to encounter those concepts this weekend. But I, I want to begin with just one verse and allow us to go from there. So Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's pray. Oh God, help us. Help us to engage with you. Lord, I know we've arrived here. There are things that are buzzing around in our minds. 
We're into the night now. But Lord, you desire to speak to us. Have our ears, have our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul begins right here in chapter 4 with the word therefore. And you guys know what you do with a therefore, right? What do you do when you see a therefore? Have I not been giving you enough lousy youth pastor puns? Come on. You got to see what it's there for, right? That's what you do with a therefore. Therefore doesn't, you know, it's connected to something uh, that came before it. And, and, and our, our walk does not begin with Ephesians 4 verse 1. But we're jumping in mid-journey here. That there was another kind of walk that we used to have. Right? I've got this in your notes. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, all right? So you're dead, but you're walking. You are the walking dead. You don't just have to be a zombie in order to do that. Apparently, there, there can be plenty of activity without life. You know, the, the guy who has uh, mapped out the human genome, uh, he's able to kind of through computer software, he can code out a gene sequence and he can edit that as easily as you and I can pull up Microsoft Word and edit one of your papers you're about to turn in. Um, and they, they can convert that then to organic matter on a Petri dish. And so you have a whole gene sequence and you have organic matter there, but you know what you don't have? You don't have life. It just sits there, just lies there. It's not alive. And, and you can be engaging the world around you and walking your own path and pursuing your interests and keeping busy with a, a big sk- schedule of activities and not be alive. And, and apparently, spiritual activity doesn't mean you have spiritual life. Because these people, you know, their, their former life, it was a religious life. They were not atheists. They were spiritually engaged. They were ready to attend whatever worship service they were, were, were called to. But, but that doesn't mean that there are affections for God, right? You, you can go through the motions of showing up church and youth group and coming to retreats with, without loving God, without really wanting Him, without there being some inner compelling that pulls you toward him without feeling a sense of desire and, and power to change. And this is the natural condition of every single person. Well, if we were walking, what were we following? Well, it was a road in the opposite direction from God. He goes on to say, which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And then he places everybody in this category, like the rest of mankind. And listen, I, I know that can be hard language to relate to. Because um, as far as I know, you're, you're not any drug dealers. You've not murdered anybody. You've not committed adultery and wrecked your family. But, but here's what Paul means by this. You, you treat your own desires, whether or not they have anything to do with God, as ultimate, as what matters most to you. That's what you live for. That, that's, that's all it takes 
following what you want when you want it, taking the easy route, what suits you, what serves you, what highlights you, whether or not God is honored. That, that's what living in the passions of the flesh and carrying out the desires of a fallen mind means, that that is walking in death. It, it's the route that Adam and Eve took in the garden for their own sense of self-fulfillment and they walked right into death in the day that you eat of it. You will surely die and away from God's presence walking in the cool of the evening. But Paul says that you once walked in this way. He's writing to a people that something has happened. That's not what characterizes you anymore. And so in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, is what we're singing about, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's utterly surprising. Verse 4 should not exist in this passage because there's nothing about verse 1, 2, or 3 that gives reason for it to. And and you cannot have something more dramatic than this. Again, in a noisy world with trending items and constant drama, it's so easy for something like this just to become lost in the noise. But, but this is a headline. I don't pass over this quickly. You know, imagine if this year, suddenly and tragically, you died. And now your parents are having to work through the grief of preparing your funeral, of burying their own child before their own passing. And your funeral happens and they lay you in the ground and your obituary is posted in the newspaper, which maybe you don't know what a newspaper is. It's kind of what, it's paper. They roll it up, they stuff it in there and then you take it and throw it in your garbage can. Uh, so, you know, maybe you think about it like this, that, you know, people are, they're posting tributes on your Facebook wall. You know, your friends got little, Instagram stories about you and summarizing your life and how meaningful you are. Um, And then months pass by and your absence is palpable. And then some faith healer shows up in town and walks by your gravesite and raises you to life and you walk out of the cemetery. What would you do at that moment? Just go back to life as normal. It's like, all right, I'm ready to get back to my sports team this season, guys. What are we doing, right? You know, just just go back to your video games. Go back to binge watching your favorite Netflix show. I mean, is that what you would do? Or would there be this new sense of urgency, this preciousness about the gift of life that you can't take for granted? A sense of mission and purpose that you would have. Suddenly, everything would become different and new and vibrant. Well, well, that's what Paul describes here. If you're a Christian, that's what's happened to you. It's like like you've awakened from the longest dream you ever had. And, And this is the language of encounter. And the person that we encounter here is God. We are alive to God. 
You stand before him alive to his reality, alive to the fact that he sees you and he knows you and he loves you, alive to him as as a personal God. You're awakened to his presence. You're, You're in fellowship with him. You're aware that he can break into your life at any moment. And you got full anticipation for what he's going to do next. You have that kind of expectation? That this is God's world and he imposes his own agenda and that he is active, he has a mission for you and and prayer actually accomplishes something. It's not just sound that travels to the ceiling. Or are we taught by the culture around us not to expect that? This life is all there is. And the stuff that we can see and touch is all that matters. And God is essentially irrelevant. Because to be alive is to be captured by him. You you cannot be casually related to the person who has resurrected you from death. There, is, there are longings to know him, new desires, a holy obsession. That's a word that's become meaningless. I just gets thrown around, oh my gosh, I'm obsessed with your hair. Or I'm obsessed with y'all's relationship. Y'all are just the cutest thing, right? Goals. Uh, well, this is what happens. When, when you get disconnected from things that are as real as this, the little tiny passing things of life have to now bear the weight of words like that. The new birth brings a new obsession. You you, you can't stay put. You are restless. You're like the paralyzed man that Jesus healed. You have to get up and walk. And and I know the the reality is, the way that I'm describing this, maybe he's making half of you question whether you're really saved. (laughs) And honestly... In part, I I don't have any intention to rescue you from that. Because this is something that we have to wrestle with. There are meaning, there's meaning to these words. But the reality is also, and we'll see this later on, as Paul writes, that even believers need to be woken up from a slumber. But what is highlighted here, what takes center stage is the mercy of God. This is an act of Mercy. This is not based in who we are and how we're living. God being rich in mercy. And so when Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1, we just read, to walk in a manner worthy of the call, what he doesn't mean there is that we become worthy, that, that we've got to kind of earn the grace of God. That's not what he means by that. He means God's worthy of this. There is a call that is worthy of you being transformed and you walking a certain way. And there's that language of the calling to which we've been called. We have a calling. God in his mercy calls us. Jesus meets us on the road. And he summons us to follow him. And Paul experiences this in his own life. Right here he describes himself as, as a prisoner for the Lord, but that was not always the case. I mean, he's, he is paying the price. This is a costly walk for Paul here. But 
as he describes it in Acts chapter 22, before his conversion, he, he was sending to prison the followers of the way. That's what he was doing. He was locking them up and he was on his own road to Damascus. And Jesus broke in and he called him and everything radically changed. His dreams and passions and motives were turned upside down and now everything Paul did was in reference to Jesus. And, and so he says here, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you, he, he implores and entreats them that there's a strong emotional appeal here because he, he wants them to know what he's experienced. There, there, there's a burning inside of him, a cause that everything answers to. There's a book titled The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and uh, I read it and cried like a baby because uh, one of the way that it's, it's been described is like a, a, a love story between a father and a son. Um, and if you have a son, you know, I just it, it can't, can't help but read it in that way. Um, but it, but it's this, this kind of post-apocalyptic world, and and they never go into details as to what happened. But but you know, power grids are shut down, and everything is just a wasteland, and there are dangers all around. But but this 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 man and his son, they're they're walking a road together, and they're trying to get to the coast because they're convinced there's help there. And and the way that they describe it, they they, they say we're we're carrying the fire. In a dark world, in a world that has become confusing and, and where people's inner e- evil impulses have become revealed, we're going to carry the fire. There is a call. There is a purpose that we have. There's something higher that life answers to and that makes, us, uh, it, makes it worth us continuing on and, and pursuing. There's a legacy and responsibility. But today... We live in a dark world that has no fire to carry. You hear this struggle reflected in the, in the song Hopeless Wanderer by Mumford and Sons, if you're familiar with any of their stuff. Uh, one of the verses says, But in the dark I have no name. And then another voice answers, When your hope's on fire, but you know your desire, don't hold a glass over the flame. In other words, don't, don't snuff it out. Don't let your heart grow cold. I will call you by name and I will share your road. And and that's what we long for, a hope that's burning in our chest and somebody who calls us by name and shares the road. But it it seems too good to be true and something something in, in us resists this. And so he responds, but hold me fast. Hold me fast because I'm a hopeless wanderer. Hold me fast. Hold me fast because I'm a hopeless wanderer. And then he says, I will learn, I will learn to love the skies I'm under. In other words, instead of being restless for somewhere else, wherever I am under the skies, I will learn to love to be right there because there's something above me that provides assurance and, and purpose. But in, in, a, in a secular world, that sense that there's something above us is what's been lost. In the words of John Lennon, above us only sky. And that's come to characterize the day. And if there's nothing beyond this world, you lose any awareness of a higher calling. Osginus writes, the trouble is that as modern people, we have too much to live with and too little to live for. We, we journey for a purpose, but a barren universe 
doesn't provide one. And so the best thing that we can do is create our own little purposes and, and goals. And, and, and if we can post about them for other people to see, all the better, right? And, and this is the prime time of the year to do that. Uh, there's a book by Mike Cosper called Recapturing the Wonder. And he, and he calls this a disenchanted world. And what he means by that is, is people used to see the world as, as enchanted, as, as a place where supernatural things happen because there is a God who acts in this world and who breaks into our lives and, and there, there is full of possibility. But, but, but now there, there's this sense of disenchantment that has settled in. And, and it's not just unbelievers. Right? Believers are affected by that as well. When I use that word secular, I don't just mean somebody who doesn't believe in God. I mean somebody who who functions as if they function without a profound sense of God's availability and relevance. And so, as Mark Sayers put it, the best we can do is try to Photoshop some meaning onto the activities that we have, something that'll make us feel better about ourselves. And so, you know, people they're not just wasting time on social media. They're retweeting for awareness. Uh, or or you, can, you can bring that to the kind of the, little, the products that we consume. There's, uh, you guys familiar with Product Red? You know, you're not just drinking a Coke. They, they take some of the proceeds and they donate that toward AIDS research. Or they have uh, uh, Tom's shoes where every shoe that you buy, you know, somebody somewhere, you don't know who, but, you know, they, they end up getting a shoe as well. And, and the fact that, hey, you can show off that you got some Toms and, and you're a very charitable person, uh, that, that's an added bonus. Uh, and so Cosper puts it like this. Philosopher and cultural critic Slavoj Žižek, which if, if you're looking for baby name ideas, go ahead and add that one to the list. Um, Slavoj Žižek is a, is a brutal critic of this sort of thing. In a lecture, he talked about how Starbucks made a big deal about donating a tiny fraction of their overpriced coffee to, quote, some stupid Guatemala children or whatever. If you think that sounds, <laughs> that sounds harsh and dismissive, that is Jijek's exact point. People like that Starbucks donates this money because of how it makes them feel about themselves. Not because of deep concern for the actual children. We hardly think of the children until Jijek calls them stupid. <laughs> And, and, and tomorrow we'll talk about how we, we kind of posture ourselves to look better than we really are. But, but listen, we, we have a purpose that is so much deeper than this. You feel it? Or have you become disenchanted with it? It's just become noise. There's a call on the road. There is a fire to carry, a real person to follow. What are you walking toward? What's your life answer to? Os Guinness says, calling by its very nature reminds us that we are only followers of Christ when in fact we follow Christ. In other words, when we leave all other allegiances and walk after him doing what he says and living as he requires, the point is easily overlooked. The way is for traveling. Either we progress however slowly and unsurely, or we are not on the way. And that thought that we are to move forward, we are to progress. That's the second thing to see here. We're alive to growth. 
Right? It, it's the classic Sesame Street song. There's a, there's a new way to walk. And it, it's, it's here, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? God has steps that he's already made. He's, he's, a, he's purchased them by grace and, and he's, he's put them down on the road. You know, like in old cartoons, you have those like little black footprints that some detective with a big magnifying glass follows to try to find somebody. Right? There, are, there are footprints that they're, they're planted there. They've already been purchased for us and arranged. And he says, right here, walk in them. I've got this for you. I've created you for me. And, and our walk is to look a certain way. Right? You, you can notice somebody by their walk. You guys, uh, you know, the people from Lakeview, especially here, you, you love to make fun of what you call the Evan stance, right? I, I, don't know, I don't know why, you know, along the way in my childhood, I started standing in first position. Um, <laughs> It was probably some trauma that did it. Um, uh, but, it, but in, 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 you know, with Eric and, and me in our kind of youth days, uh, we used to always uh, make fun of Sam Ebuyer for his walk. Right? He had this classic walk, which, which, by the way, I think at some point this weekend, we're going to have to have an, an impressions showdown between Eric and Jack Collins. So I think we've got to have it, do because they have this distinct ability to notice. So I, I don't think I could really, like, you know, get it. But, but he always, like, walked on his toes. It just was... Uh, just very distinctive. And our walk is to be distinctive. It's to resemble someone else's walk. Right? First John 2, 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then God says in Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And, and this walk, this, this carefulness to obey is to mature in our lives. This is how he puts it in chapter 4, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be Children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Living things grow. If something's not growing, it's not alive, right? You can look at that Jekyll Crow, uh, crow quote. Uh, crow quote is a, is a hard phrase to say um, later. And, and her, her book is just very helpful for, for the teenage experience. Um, but, but there's a difference between a stable walk and a toddler's walk. Uh, my, my children, for whatever reason, they just tend to be late walkers. Uh, I don't think there's any hope for Leo to 
learn how to walk, uh, much less really crawl and make his way around our house because whenever he's placed on the, on the floor, he just gets attacked. Uh, Knox has used him as a stepping stool to get up on the couch. I mean, just as convenient like that, uh, you know, older brother tendencies. Um, so he's a little terrified of, of, of the ground. But I remember when, you know, goes around, comes around type thing because I remember when, uh, when Knox was first learning how to walk, you know, Piper, they were only 19 months apart, so sometimes she would, she would walk up to him and just kind of shove him down, just like, you know, stay in your place, son. Uh, uh, but, but a toddler's walk, right? They're just learning, they're teetering and, 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 and toddling along. And, and you know, there, there's, there's beginning to the Christian life that looks like that. And that's okay. But that's, it'd also be a tremendously awkward thing if I were walking around camp right now like little Knox did when he was first learning how to walk, right? Our walk is to become stable. It's to mature. And, and the teenage years, they're not years to be wasted and wandering. They're years for growth. They're years for maturity, for, for doing what Paul says here, growing in your knowledge of the Son of God to be strengthened in doctrine so that we're not blown about. Like there are winds blowing around us. There are ideas that intrude in your life. You interact with more ideas, maybe in a given week, than somebody living a couple hundred years ago would have encountered in their entire life. You face so much. And it comes blowing into your world and it wants to knock down the little walk that you have. And God says, become sturdy in me. Plant your feet to the ground with deep conviction, with study and depth of engagement with all that he is. What did your study of God look like last year? What's your plan to grow in your knowledge of him this year, to, to grow in, in discernment so that you're not easily taken, you're not easily duped by the latest emotional frenzy, but, but you're able to see past that. You're able to see the consequences of some of those lines of thought. You're able to say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar. How can you say that? You've been around this. You felt its reality in your life. Sinclair Ferguson says, study and meditation, application and obedience develop in us the ability to see clearly, to distinguish between what is true and false and also between what is good and what is really best. People today, Christians today are being overtaken by stuff that's kind of good but not best. You know the difference? Right? Far from being, uh, sorry, the, the, the word seeps into, this is really good, the word seeps into our instincts so that we sense the superficial and detest teaching that is sinister or dangerous. Far from being immature, spiritual teenagers, as it were, don't be offended by that, uh, driven by our emotions, Attracted by spiritual spin, shaped by the passing trends of peer pressure, we live by the word of God and grow strong. Maybe said of this group, you live by the word of God and you are growing 
strong. This happens as we leave behind old paths. Paul writes and goes on, verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now he's writing to Gentiles. But being a Gentile is not what defines them. Those practices, those associations, that identity. Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. Right? That, that's, that's the death that he had described. And then he goes on in verse 20, but that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him. He's challenging them a little bit. You know this, right? Does it look like you know it? As the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, your former way, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And if you are a walker, there are certain priorities for what you are going to take with you, what you are going to wear, what you are going to carry. The, 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 the guy gave the TED Talk who walked 4,000 miles across uh, the United States. He talked about how he had to be extremely selective. What am I going to bring with me on this trip because I'm going to be carrying it around. It makes me think of, I'm a, I'm a not-so-closet uh, SpongeBob fan. Um, you guys remember the, the episode where uh, SpongeBob and Patrick, they, they think that they stole a balloon. They don't realize it was free balloon day. And so they determine they're going to leave Bikini Bottom. And uh, SpongeBob says something like, this is it. We have to leave. We can only take with us what we can carry on our backs and then Patrick's got one of those sticks with like the, you know, uh, the cloth wrapped around his entire stone. That's his house. <laughs> and, and, and SpongeBob says, we're going to have to pack lighter. And then they, they wander off into the, the sunset there, right? Uh, you, you have to make priorities if you're going to walk for what you're going to carry with you. And, and Paul says, there's, there are things to put off. There are things to leave behind. And there are things to put on. And, and, and notice, it's not just things. Right, this, this is amazing here. What you put on is a person. You, you put on the new person, the new self, the new man. And, and you know who that new man is? That new man's Jesus. Jesus, the, the renewed, the resurrected man. You have a life in him. It belongs to you. There, there is someone whom God has made you to be, right? Created in Christ Jesus. These steps that God has prepared for us. And we put that on. And, and Paul describes it like you're getting changed. But again, the, the new year, people are, you know, they're pursuing gym memberships. Probably a lot of people are like buying a bunch of active wear and exercise clothing that they're never going to use. Uh, but hey, it's in the closet, so it makes you feel like you're, you've accomplished something. Um, Right? You, you wear clothing that's appropriate for getting active. And Paul says there, there's, there are clothing that is fitting for the new person that you are. You're no longer the Gentile. You're now something else in Jesus. And so walk as he walked. Right? Question for you. 
What have you put off? And what have you put on? Can anything come to mind? Their attitudes, practices, decisions, things that you were doing that nobody else knew about? What have you left behind? What stayed in 2017 and didn't get carried into this year? And what have you put on? How are you more like Jesus? How are you more the way that God has identified you to be? And, and, and the way that this happens in us, right? He, he says, put off the old self that was corrupt through deceitful desires. And, and, and their desires that they hold forth promises. They, they look attractive. We'll talk about this tomorrow night. They, they say they're going to land us in a place that's fulfilling, but they're just cheap ads. They're counterfeits. Well, the, the way that you learn that is you renew your mind. There's truth that you have engaged. Right? There, there's this simple recipe for change that we find in Scripture. You, you read the Bible. You meditate on it, you take it into your life, you think hard about it, you think about your own need for it, you treasure it, you pray, and you obey God. And that is how you follow Jesus, where he walks. You keep your attention on him as he moves forward and he has called you to engage life. Eric, if you'd come back up, ma'am. So now I recognize that there is something that is so ordinary about that. It's probably not anybody coming here who needs to be told, hey, you should probably read the Bible and pray and follow God. Uh, that's not new. And ordinary for us can become boring. And and, and again, we, we, we experience a lot and there's a lot in the world around us that appeals to our senses and to a readiness for some experience and adventure. You know, one author has described this generation of Christians as a generation that would rather feel God than worship Him. We, we want the entertainment. We, we want the hype. We, we want something that feels radical and extreme and that we can tell other people about. But, but another image for the Christian life is not just a walk, it's an endurance race. It is, as Eugene Peterson puts it, a long obedience in the same direction. You just keep going after him and you do it again tomorrow and you open up your bible and you read it when it's not adventurous when your mind is wandering but you do it because you trust him you trust the process that he has you in you walk in his ways away from our boredom our distraction now paul is sitting in a prison cell here that that is not a glamorous life but he, he is full of 
compelling an emotion. And He wants you to know, it's worth it. I, I urge you, I urge you to walk in this way. Now let's go ahead and stand together. This has been a long day, and there's a lot that competes in a moment like this. But let's just allow the Lord to visit with us. You bring your honesty before Him. How is your walk? The Jesus who has called you wants to visit with you. He wants to visit with you tonight. And this weekend, what does he bring into mind? What is he making you aware of? Maybe there was some question that was raised for you tonight. Have I been brought to life? Have I encountered life? Has there been reality that has moved beyond just me being associated with church, Christianity, some spiritual activity that I'll tolerate from time to time? Has Jesus called you to life? And have you been walking in his ways? Or have you wandered away from the path? thankful for the mercy of the Lord, thankful for his kindness to me, my own needs, my own reluctance, my own ways that I give in to temptation. He's been so kind. He's not abandoned me. He's not left me behind to figure this out. He's been so patient with me. That same Jesus is yours. If you are in him. You know, there's that moment in Jesus' ministry right before his death where he puts on a towel and he washes his disciples' feet because they've been doing a lot of walking (laughs) to get to that city. And at first, you know, the Apostle Peter objects and he says, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to stoop so low. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, Peter, you don't have any part of me. And so Peter, you know, he's always the character who, who takes things to the extreme level and blurts out whatever, you know, comes to mind. And he says, well, all of me then, Jesus. Take that water bucket and dump it on me right now. And Jesus says, you're clean. Your body doesn't need to be washed. Just your feet. 
And in Christ, there's a no longer category that defines us. We are clean. We are accepted in him. But our feet get dirty in this world. And we have a Savior who stoops low. And in his grace, he washes us again and again. It's the hope that we have in meeting with him this weekend. Miss Patrice had a burden that was very similar to that and, and timely. And I just wanted to allow us to hear from her, from what the Lord weighed on her heart. Because it's just, again, this, this, this shows us this is an enchanted world. This is not a world where we just, we just came into a room and just sound is coming through a microphone right now. God had intentions for you this weekend. And he communicated some of those intentions to her ahead of time. So come on up, Patrice, and share that. I believe the Lord gave me a picture of someone here tonight who is tired and weary from guilt and shame because of some choices you have made. You are standing on the edge of a sandy shoreline. You're in front of the open waters with tears streaming down your face. The waves of the water keep coming.